Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bosch. The number of clean diesel models in North America will double by 2014. Bosch Clean Diesel. Good. Clean. Fun. Bridgestone. Your journey. Our passion. Dow Automotive Systems. Improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. And by the 2013 Hyundai Sonata. Learn more at HyundaiSonata.com. Hello and welcome to AutoLine Daily. It's the 30th of August. I'm John McElroy, and here's the news. Looks like General Motors is going through a brain drain. Four senior technical leaders have left the company's R&D operations in a relatively short amount of time. The latest is Chris Baroni Bird, who played a crucial role in the development of the GM autonomy and the Envy. Earlier this year, Alan Taub, who was vice president of R&D, retired from the company well before retirement age. The same goes for his predecessor, Larry Burns, who left three years ago. And the same goes for Bob Purcell, who played a key role in the development of the EV1. He left the company two years ago. Earlier this year, GM cut its research staff based in the United States by 25%. I don't think we've ever seen so many technical people leave a car company well before their retirement ages. Speaking of GM, there's an internet rumor making the rounds claiming that 79% of GM sales are going to the government. It goes on to say that this is just another Obama administration bailout of GM and the UAW. Well, let's examine the facts. So far this year, about 3% of GM sales have gone to government agencies. Of that, three quarters were to state and local governments, not the feds. And while GM's government sales did shoot up in June and July, half of those were police cars. Bottom line, if the Obama administration is buying less than 1% of GM sales, then it's not doing a very good job of bailing them out again. Hey, more news from Russia today. Nissan just introduced the all-new Almera at the Moscow International Auto Salon. The large sedan was specifically designed for the Russian market and features higher ground clearance, more underbody protection, and anti-corrosion chrome treatment to handle those rough Russian roads. The car is powered by a 1.6-liter gas engine with either a 5-speed manual or 4-speed automatic. The Almera will be built in Russia and goes on sale early next year. Yesterday, Ford broke ground on an all-new $760 million plant in China, which will start production in 2015. Ford's going to bring seven new models to China in the next three years, including a low-priced small car. However, Ford's not going to develop a separate Chinese brand, and it says the new low-priced car will not be the Figo. It makes the Figo in India, and it starts at only $6,800, but Ford says it's not going to build that in China because it's a right-hand drive car. But I say, come on, guys, how hard could it be to move the steering wheel over to the other side of the car? Speaking of new models, the next-generation Volkswagen Golf should be revealed to the world in just a few days, but supposedly a product presentation about this Mark 7 model already landed on the Internet. The Golf will supposedly lose 100 kilograms of mass, that's about 220 pounds, yet it's going to be a little bit longer and slightly roomier and should get better fuel economy. Look for more details next week and the full story later in September when the car officially debuts at the Paris Motor Show. 
VW is also hard at work on its super-efficient XL1. The car was spotted enduring some hot weather testing. And you know, there's been several concept versions of this low-slung, bullet-shaped two-seater, but the company is rumored to be close to offering a production model. Fuel economy is supposedly in the neighborhood of 235 miles per gallon. That is thanks to a super low curb weight and a coefficient of drag of only 0.186. At least, that's how slippery the concept was. And sticking with the Volkswagen Group, Car and Driver reports the next generation Audi A8, which is expected to debut in the 2016 to 2017 timeframe, could get rid of its all-aluminum space frame. This has been the flagship car's defining feature since 1994. It's rumored the upcoming model will share an aluminum hybrid platform with Porsche and Bentley. Apparently, it's going to incorporate high-strength steel and composite materials to save more weight. We'll see if Audi makes the decision to switch to this dedicated rear-wheel drive architecture. And after the break, we're going to take a peek at one of the most expensive SUVs on the road. Clean diesel models in North America will double by 2014. Why? Higher take rates, lower cost of ownership, longer range and better fuel mileage, lower CO2 emissions. Clean diesel, good, economical, functional. Bosch, invented for life. The large and midsize SUV segments are doing pretty well in the United States. Despite high fuel prices, sales are flat to slightly up. We recently put one of the biggest and most luxurious to the test, this American-grade SUV hails from Great Britain, of all places. Craig Cole has more. America is a land of conspicuous consumption. If you've got it, flaunt it with mansions, yachts, and high-end autos. And it's hard to consume more conspicuously than with this, the Land Rover LR4. This luxury SUV starts at a base price of about $50,000, but our test model here has been optioned up to more than 61 grand, which really is kind of a bargain compared to the line-topping Range Rover. It may have been built in the West Midlands, but this British brick is right at home in America. It's wide, tall, and can traverse just about any terrain on the planet, which is ridiculous overkill for shuttling kids to the mall or driving to grandma's house in the winter. It's powered by a quiet-running 5-liter direct-injection V8 that puts out 375 horsepower and 375 foot-pounds of torque. This engine moves the portly LR4 quite well, and it's backed by an occasionally clunky-shifting 6-speed automatic transmission. Fuel economy is a whisker better than unbearable at 12 miles per gallon in the city and 17 on the highway. As for the interior, I'm not blown away by the cabin of this Land Rover. It's fine, there's plenty of soft leather and real walnut wood trim, but it's not going to take Audi down anytime soon. The front seats, though, are like thrones. They're so comfortable, and the view of the road ahead is unmatched. Well, at the end of the day, I'm decidedly unimpressed by the LR4. While I can see some appeal of owning a large luxury SUV, this thing is just too ponderous, too inefficient, and a little bit too phony for me. If I want to go off-roading, I'll take a Jeep Wrangler. If I want luxury, an Audi A8 would be fine. This really is the best of no worlds. According to data provided by Ward's Auto, calendar year-to-date sales of the LR4 are down roughly 9% through July, making it one of the brand's least popular models. Interestingly, 
The Range Rover Sport is the top seller, while the newly introduced Evoque is coming on strong. It is in second place. Say be sure to join that bodacious auto extremist Peter DeLorenzo and myself for the best insider discussion of what's going on in the automotive business. Joining us is Randy Stevens, the chief engineer of the Toyota Avalon, and we'll kick that all off tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on AutoLine After Hours. And that wraps up today's show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.